Have you finished your personal statement yet? Now's the perfect time to get it professionally reviewed by a medical school HQ expert advisor. We have former directors of admissions, admissions officers, and the like on our small team of amazing people. They have the inside knowledge from reading thousands and thousands and thousands, tens, if not 100,000 personal statements going through the process and setting up the process for their whole committee. They know exactly what medical schools look for and the common red flags that can get your entire application thrown out. Take advantage of our flash sale right now, going through May 6th, up to 6,000 characters reviewed for just $150. That's a $75 discount on our regular price. Go to editmyps.com. Again, that's editmyps.com. If you're applying to medical school in 2022 to start medical school in 2023, join me Wednesday or Thursday, Wednesday night at 9.30 p.m. Eastern, or Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern at premedworkshop.com. Go register today. I'm going to show you how to tell your story in your application. Again, that's premedworkshop.com. If you are applying to medical school in 2022, be there or be square. The Medical School HQ Podcast, session number 116. Hello, and welcome to the Medical School Headquarters Podcast, where we believe that collaboration, not competition, is key to your pre-med success. I'm your host, Dr. Ryan Gray, and in this podcast, we share with you stories, encouragement, and information that you need to know to help guide you on your path to becoming a physician. If you're struggling with the MCAT and preparing for it, go to freemcatgift.com and download our 30-page report with tips and tricks on how to maximize your studying for the MCAT so you can get the best score that you can get. Today, we're going to talk to another podcaster and blogger, Mr. Thomas Frank of collegeinfogeek.com, a site dedicated to helping undergrads be awesome at college. He covers studying more efficiently and effectively, how to land the most awesome job, and paying off your loans as soon as possible. He even paid off his loans while he was still a student. We're going to be talking about his new ebook, 10 Steps to Earning Awesome Grades, and how, as a pre med, you can take this information and improve your chances of getting into medical school. Thomas, welcome to the Medical School Headquarters podcast. I want to get started by asking what was your inspiration behind starting College Info Geek? Yeah, cool. So, uh, for one, thanks for having me on the show, dude. No problem. I've been a fan of the show for a while. So College Info Geek, the inspiration actually came from a, a failure of mine, a failure to get hired to write for another site. So the story goes, uh, I was a freshman. And as a freshman, I was very interested in basically maximizing my experience because I went to school in 2009. And as you probably recall, 2009 was not a very good year for people. <laughs> for anybody, <laughs> not just undergraduates or graduating students, anybody. Yeah, yeah, so I remember graduating high school and everyone was like, oh, this is the worst time to be graduating college. Nobody's getting a job. And I was like, ooh, I get to go to college now instead of to graduate. But I'm kind of like anticipating that maybe when I graduate, it'll be just as bad. Who knows? But either way, I want to make sure that I'm not like caught in that. 
So uh, as a result, I went to class, you know, I did my part-time jobs and everything, but I also started reading blogs like Lifehacker and I found one called Hack College. And it was all about how to be a better college student, basically, and just like little life hacks for students. So I was reading this and during the the middle of my freshman year, I got a job as what they call cyclone aid at my school, which is basically orientation assistant. We would be the people that would give tours to the new freshmen coming in, get them orientated. I don't know if that's a word. Give them like sign up for classes and everything. And as a result, we had to learn basically everything there was to know about Iowa State and also a bunch of study skills and stuff. And as I'm learning this and going through the training uh, near the end of the year, Hat College posts up a ad saying, hey, if you want to write for us, submit your application resume and write us a guest post and we'll see who writes the best one and hire a few people. So I was like, cool, I'm not a writing major. You know, I was an MIS major, but I figured, you know, going back to that mindset of not wanting to be caught in the you know, terrible economy. I figured if I had some writing experience for a big site, I could graduate, show that to an employer and maybe get a leg up on the competition. So I wrote up a big guest post, took like all night. It was one of my very few all nighters <laughs> and they rejected it. And I had this post and I was like, I, I spent hours on this and I don't want to like let it go to waste. So I just Googled how to set up a WordPress blog and put it on myself. So that was kind of the, the origin story. And I figured, you know, it's, it's a blog. I'm not going to be super stressed out. If I get really busy, I can just, you know, tone down the involvement a bit. And it kind of went from there. Awesome. So I want to go back even before that. And it's interesting how you kind of stumbled into this life hack kind of world. Were you like that in high school, always looking how to improve and how to do better? Yeah, I think so. I think it really kind of amped up in college when I started discovering blogs and things. But even when I was a middle schooler, I would, I guess the best way to illustrate this would be when I wanted to upgrade from a CD player. Because back in the day, What's we all that? had like CD players. <laughs> I know it was this weird thing from the Stone Age. I think Aristotle made it. <laughs> and uh, you would put like this circular thing in this very big contraption that you needed a dump truck to carry around with you. You needed to and hold it, would, it very still. Very still. It, yeah. And if you happened to be in sixth grade and you were a nerd and bullies came up to you and hit it onto the ground and like trashed your $20 life savings, you would cry. <laughs> that certainly never happened to me or anything. <laughs> But I, I was getting to the point where I was like, I want an MP3 player to upgrade, you know? And everyone had an iPod. Well, back then, iPods were not that great, at least to, to a geek, because they couldn't play any video format other than like one specific Apple format. You had to like buy your music from iTunes. There was all these restrictions. It just wasn't as good as it is now. And I wanted to get something better. So I spent every single day, like every study hall I had, just like trawling forums dedicated to mp3 players and learned every single stat for every single one and i went to walmart and like bought a succession of like five or six and returned them all just to test them out so i could get the like the perfect best one so i think i was a little bit of like a let's like ring life for the most that i can get it in high school but it wasn't for everything it was just for like things i had interest in yeah i like that because i don't think enough people do that where they they're doing something, and in the back of their mind, the thought is, how can I do this better? I don't think enough people ask that question. They just they go with the, the status quo and go, this is how I've always done it, so I'll just keep doing it this way, even though I know I'm going to get frustrated at this one particular point because it, something always screws up right here, whether you're making dinner or 
working on your car or whatever it may be, there's always something and people don't take a step back and go, let me Google how to make this easier, faster, better, whatever. So I'm glad that you do that. So this is a concept that I've written about called a solution finding. And it really came to a head for me when I was in my freshman year. The first job I had was being a tech support dude. And my job was usually to reset people's passwords or tell them how to connect their internet up. But occasionally we'd get problems that were just not in the knowledge base. And it was our job to go to Google or to go wherever and figure it out and help them fix it. So I think that was a skill that sort of solidified in that job. And then I was able to transfer it to basically everything I do. And it also made it very obvious when people would run into something they don't understand and then just kind of shut down or immediately like ask for help instead of looking for an answer on themselves. So I really want to sort of encourage this idea of being a solution finder and being willing to put some effort in to figure things out for yourself. Perfect. I like it. All right. So I want to have a discussion with you about this awesome ebook that you put together, 10 Steps to Earning Awesome Grades. Sure, man. In parentheses, while studying less. <laughs> I love it. So you're not pre-med. You are not in the pre-med world, but you talk to undergrads and, and you help undergrads. And obviously, as a pre-med student, the student that's listening to this podcast right now, they need to build their pre-med world on top of their undergrad foundation. So you have that knowledge to help my audience build a foundation and the person listening build that foundation. So I think a lot of what you say and a lot of what we'll talk about will hold true to the person listening. So if you're out driving, don't worry about taking notes. Do that later. <laughs> we'll have stuff in the show notes. Don't worry about that. And we'll, we'll let you know where to, to download the ebook and everything else. So yeah, you start off by talking about this study time equation. What is the study time equation? Sure. Yeah. Let me go grab it real quick in the book. Okay. So I have a notebook and my notebook is my catch all. And in addition to all my weekly to-do lists and things, I'll just come up with weird ideas. And I got inspired by something called the procrastination equation, which was developed by a guy named Pierce Steele. He has a book, an entire book about it. But I was like, you know what? Math problems that give you insight into real life are cool. (laughs) because I get to play around with logic and I also get to teach a lesson and I don't actually have to work with real numbers. (laughs) So I was like, all right, here's something that's formulating in my head. The time you spend in class is constant and the time you have to study is variable. And those two amounts of time put together are what you have to prepare for tests. So I made this equation where the end goal or like the uh, that one the right side of it would be the desired preparedness for your tests hopefully that's prepared to ace it right mm-hmm. so on the especially other side of the for equation, especially for our type a pre-meds here yes yeah because i mean i've only talked to a couple of pre-meds i had one on my podcast and he was like yeah usually for med you kind of need to have like a three five or higher and if it's even a three five you need to kind of show some extra some extra involvement to get into a top med school so Yes, prepared to ace your exams and ace basically everything. So your class time's constant. And so I do class time in parentheses times learning quality. And that is just the efficiency of your learning time in class. The first time you're exposed to material and what you do with that material, how well you can learn it right away without having to study later. And then that's plus 
the uh, next grouping in parentheses, which is the study time. This is a variable and time study efficiency. So however efficient your study methods are times however long you do it. So those two groups added together get your desired preparedness. And if you want to decrease your study time, which I think a lot of people do, you've already set your desired preparedness, you've already set your class time, then all you got to do is increase the quality of your learning initially and also the efficiency of your studying and revising afterwards. Okay. Seems easy enough. Yeah. And I mean, it's, I don't think it's anything super mind-blowing, but I kind of wanted to emphasize the fact that you need to think about the methods you're applying to both your learning and studying because certain things are constants and certain things you're probably putting too much time into. Yeah. Okay. So mm. it's just where to focus and how to improve overall. Yep. All righty. So your book, 10 Steps, we're going to go step by step, kind of shotgun it and talk about <laughs> okay. a little bit of the, each one. Your first step is pay better attention in class. Now, I want to already have a version 2.0 of your book and you need a step 0.5. Go to class. <laughs> I think a lot of people skip class because they go, oh, I'll just read it in the book. Uh, the teacher's not going to teach me anything. And so that's, a, I think, a, a big misstep already. You know, I didn't even think of adding that because, well, I wrote an article called 42 Things I Learned Freshman Year way back when I was a sophomore. And the first thing is go to class. Yep. So <laughs> hopefully people have maybe read that if they're reading <laughs> this book. If not, I mean, it's, it's on the site. But yeah, go to class. <laughs> All right. So how do we pay better attention in class once we're there? Sure. So uh, I actually started it out with something that I wanted to sort of shoehorn into the book and there was no real step for it. But there's a guy named Elliot Hulse on YouTube and he's like a fitness dude. His like intro channel video, the whole thing, like subscribe to my channel. Here's why he has this little quote that just stuck with me amazingly. And it's called the most important part of the game is your game piece, which basically means take care of your body above everything else. And it makes a lot of sense because your body provides the nutrients and energy for your brain and your brain does everything in college. And I can give you hundreds of tips and tricks and systems and productivity stuff. But if your brain and your body is uh, at, you know, not at optimal levels, then it's not going to really help you that much. So, you know, just like just the standard stuff, eat healthy, exercise, get enough sleep. I'm not really saying anything new here, but what I, I wanted to emphasize it because I think there's just this emphasis on silver bullets and, you know, tricks and tips and everything in the blog space and anything people are looking up and they tend to ignore these very foundational basic things. Yeah. So there's that things like sit up front and be present, come prepared. I think a lot of people don't come prepared for class. I certainly did it. Mm -hmm. I mean, I had to ask for pens and stuff. I wanted to give some like unconventional tips with these very conventional headlines. So mm -hmm. coming prepared is just my excuse to talk to, about mindfulness. You know, mindfulness is just like the ability to consider dependencies, uh, your life's dependencies that are not in your immediate field of view. So you have class tomorrow. You're not possibly thinking about the fact that you need to have your bag prepared for class. So if you can build a mindfulness habit and maybe set triggers to remind yourself of it, then you'll remember to pack everything up the night before. And I'm guessing pre-meds are probably the type of students who already kind of had this down pat, but I'm talking to a more general audience here. So. You'd I'd be surprised. So we're undergrads just like everybody else. <laughs> okay, okay. Yeah, so I, one of the things that I didn't see here, and I think I bet, I think mindfulness and being present kind of play into this, mm -hmm. is the fear of missing out, this whole FOMO stuff. FOMO, And yes. having, <laughs> having your phone out and having your computer out and being on Twitter and Facebook and 
Instagram mm. and, and everywhere else to be able to stay connected to the outside world while you're supposedly in class learning. Yeah. So I, I think that's one aspect of being present and sitting up front. I yeah. Think it'd be hard to do that if you're sitting up front and the teacher's right there. So, you know, the, uh, the class that I have the most vivid memory of being present in is the uh, statistics class I had to take out of any class I ever took. This was the one where I knew I was most engaged and I learned the most from probably because I sat up front and the entire time the teacher was lecturing, I had my notebook out and I was writing. And there's an entire section of the book called Keep Those Hands Moving. I think that this, like the need to do it made me learn so much better. I had to because statistics is very hard and very much builds upon it. Every single concept builds upon the next one or the last one. And if I had missed anything, I would have been just screwed. So that class I was very, very present in. And then in other classes, I would be on Craigslist, like trying to sell computers and do <laughs> side hustles and just like browsing forums. And I didn't learn nearly as much. So yeah, you're definitely right. Like, and I don't even think it was FOMO for me. It was more like boredom or just being interested in other things at the time. But mm-hmm. uh, you are paying for the class. And I think you have to make that decision. Like, is this class important to me? Is the grade important? And if it is, I should probably be present and use active learning strategies that are going to encourage me to stay present and engaged as long as I can. I like it. Mm -hmm. So step two, you have take better notes. Yes. What is your thought or take more effective notes as your exact title? Mm -hmm. What are your thoughts between paper and computer? I think it is very context dependent. However, There is research to show that people who take notes on paper tend to write less, but they also write less verbatim from what the teacher says. So this comes to this dichotomy between syntax and meaning. So when your professor says something like a platypus is a duck-billed animal, the syntax is the words and the letters that make up those words. And the meaning is the actual concept that he's communicating through the oral medium. And if you are the type of person who types your notes, it is much easier to simply focus on the syntax and essentially become a human transcription machine. The words go in your ear, your brain devotes all its processing power to understanding the syntax of the words that were communicated and then typing them down into your notebook. If you do this, you don't get the meaning. And going back to that study equation, you are really lowering the class efficiency which means you're going to have to spend a much uh, larger amount of time later revising all these notes and actually learning them. So the research showed that students who were able to take notes on paper were able to learn things more effectively. And I don't take this as a blanket endorsement for paper note-taking. What I want to use it for is an illustration of why you should be very mindful of what you're taking notes on in class, whether it's on a computer or on paper. And there's several different methods I go through in the book and what sort of subjects each method might lend itself to. But if you choose paper or computer, you need to think about what are the concepts that are being presented? Am I going to be tested over? Is it going to be mostly facts? Is it going to be concepts? Is it going to be very high level or very detail oriented? And then try to get that written down instead of just everything. Awesome. And you have a video on note-taking systems, which we'll link to as well as talking about all the methods here in the book. So I think that's one of those things. And I talk about it a lot is a, a student will go to their friend and be like, this is how I aced organic chemistry. So this is how you have to study. 
And I say, no, everybody yeah. studies differently. You will, you'll have different techniques. You'll have different methods of learning and, and understanding. So just because, mm-hmm. and even you, you the student from one class to another, from one year to another, are going to need to change and alter your methods. Yeah, definitely. Like you're going to learn more about yourself as you get older. That's just like, as you do more work, you'll learn, this is how I learn more effectively in this area, in this context, and other things I tried in the past doesn't work. It also applies to productivity in general. I interviewed a guy named Mike Vardy from Productivityist for my podcast. And Mm -hmm. one of the things that really stuck out to me talking to him was just that productivity is a very, very individual thing. And I think we get kind of caught up in these systems and apps and we want to sort of mold ourselves to fit a specific shiny new app that comes out or a system or some guru who says this is how you should do it, like getting things done or whatever approach the guru of the day says. And it's, it's really just whatever works for you is the best system when it comes to learning, when it comes to productivity, anything else. My productivity system involves like notebook paper, several different apps, whiteboards, and it works for me, you know, it yeah. might not work for you. It probably won't work for anyone else, but it helps me get a lot of stuff done. Yeah. And I think that goes back. We can even trace it back to just being mindful. Like we're in class, be mindful about how you're studying and what's working, what's not working. Yeah, yeah. definitely. All right. Step three, get more out of your textbooks. Now Yay, it's, textbooks. it's interesting. <laughs> so this big headline here right out of that says, don't do all of your assigned reading. Yes. Now, if I go back and read, get more out of your textbooks, are you saying to get out of my textbooks? Get more out of <laughs> it? It's kind of has this double meaning here. Now, you're telling me not to read what the teacher is telling me to read. That seems kind of crazy. You know, the funny thing is sometimes the teachers won't even tell you to read everything. And those are the smart ones. So basically what I want students to realize here is that you should gauge your classes and figure out what you're going to be assessed on, and then apply your reading time to that assessment. Now, you, you do want to learn. Like The ultimate goal of college is to learn and be able to apply. But there is so much material in your textbooks, and you're taking so many classes, and there's so many other things you need to do besides classes. Yeah, uh, There's this parties, whole concept to have parties, football games, raging, <laughs> tipping over cows. I don't know. <laughs> That's a yeah. Midwest thing, sorry. <laughs> There's this concept I talk about in one blog post called the student success triangle and where learning is, is only one point of the triangle. There's also value creation and relationship building. And I think you need to be, you know, dedicating a pretty good amount of time to those things as well. So learning is just one third of your time. So obviously you can't read every single word of your textbooks and you shouldn't. So gauge your classes, figure out, you know, what type of class are you in? Are you in a very concept, big idea sort of class? Do you have one of those sadistic teachers that tests over every little tiny detail? And then you can start to apply your time to each class and to each reading assignment based upon those assessments. Okay. I like it. And you, you cover some, some different methods of reading and how to actively read versus just kind of staring at the page like I think most of us do and go, what did I just read for the last 10 minutes? Oh, man, I got to start over. Yeah. Well, I, I will note that when... So that's another mindfulness thing. Uh, realize when you have read something and your brain goes, I don't remember a single word that I just ran my eyes over. If you get to that point, it's probably time to go and like take a five minute walk or something. Yeah. There's a video called Study Left, Study Smart by a guy named Dr. Marty Lobdell, I want to say. 
And his first point in his lecture is that you really only can study for 25 to 30 minutes on average before your efficiency starts to go down and you need to take a break. So, and I think med students kind of have to push this a little bit further than most. (laughs) Yeah. But you do need to take breaks, you know. There's a book called, I believe it's called A Mind for Numbers. And the author talks about a chess champion who beat, or not didn't beat, tied Gary Kasparov when he was 13 years old. His name is Magnus Carlsen. He's the current number one ranked chess player in the world. And while he's playing uh, Kasparov, he gets up from the table and he walks around and just like looks at other chess games and sort of spaces off for a few seconds every once in a while. And the author talks about what he's doing is he's using this form of thinking called diffuse thinking where you kind of step away from the problem and just dwell on it, you know, with your entire brain. And then you sit back down and you go back to the prefrontal cortex, heavy focused thinking. And I think you need to apply this to your studies as well. You have to focus on your problems, but you also have to get up, give your brain a little bit of relaxation time. I mean, you know, you probably get some of your best ideas when you're like in the shower on walks, right? Yeah. And there's the power of habit talks the book, the power of habit talks about why that happens. Yeah. 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 Which is awesome. That book is amazing. Yeah. I have a very detailed document of notes on that book. (laughs) That was the book that ironically, the habit of uh, taking notes on books I read is started with that book and I've kept that going and it's really, really rewarding because when I want to write about something, I can now just go back to my notes and say, oh, I don't have to go through the book again. (laughs) Nice. I need to do that. But I I read on a Kindle, so it's hard to do that. Oh, well, on Kindle, it's easy too. So I guess my, uh, and actually this is tying into the active reading thing that we're talking about here because one of my active reading strategies is to summarize what you read so i don't necessarily like highlight or put flags in my books anymore what i do is i read the chapter and then when i get done with my reading session i go back and i sort of skim through really quickly and i just type the most important things into an evernote document in outline style okay so you're not actually marking in the book nope not usually all right there we go thanks for teaching me (laughs) All right, step four, plan like a general. Now, I think this is something we could all do better to get more done and be more intentional with how we spend our time instead of how I think most people do it. And they go, I need to study this afternoon, so I'm going to grab all my books and go plop down in the library and figure it out then. I think if Mm. we plan better, then we can actually be a lot more efficient, which I think is the end game for all of this. Yes. So it all comes down to the revelation and the realization that choice is not always a good thing. And there's a, it's a professor at the Columbia business school. Her name's Sheena Einger. She said, there's times when the presence of more choices can make us choose things that are not, excuse me, actually good for us. And uh, the clear example is that the more options for retirement funds people have, the less likely they are to actually save. And I think this is why people don't invest because there's just so much information and so much choice that it, it causes this, analysis paralysis Mm -hmm. and it's the same with uh, studying you know you've got like six assignments to do and you don't even know what to do in fact i i was dealing with the same problem today i got sick yesterday and i decided to give myself a break from my habits so i put habit rpg on sleep and i decided to give myself another break today just because i wanted to make sure i was getting better before i was exercising and all those crazy things again but as a result i didn't make my daily plan and i sat here for a couple of hours like sort of playing in and out of one task, another task, and never really getting one of them done. And most days when I have a plan that's pre-made, I get them all done, or most of them at least. So what you want to do is 
take time in the morning. And I think it's really good to just kind of build this into a morning routine to look at your planner, look at your to-do list, figure out what am I going to do today and what order am I going to do it in and then execute once that plan is solid. And you might not always be perfect on it, but having the plan in place is going to make you perform a lot better. I like it. And that kind of runs into step six with build your optimal study and or step five, sorry, build your optimal study environment. Yeah. And that comes down to planning where you're going to study and planning the environment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think the location is just, you got to find the location that works for you. And this is a very individual thing again. One thing I will note, and I continue to learn things even after the book is written. So the cool thing about the book is the reason I made the book free is because I wanted it to be like a subscription bonus. And I have an entire like course of emails that come once a week after the book goes out. So if I learn something new, I can actually add it to a later email that people will get. So one thing I've learned is that the context of a situation will determine your behavior in some part. Like uh, think of when you're in class, if you get asked a question to the entire class, then you will instinctively raise your hand. But if the teacher points at you without even thinking, you'll give a verbal response. You're conditioned for that behavior. And the environmental cues when you're studying will also condition your behavior. So if you're studying in your room, you might feel a desire to go sleep or play video games. If you're studying in the kitchen, you'll, you'll be more likely to want to eat like that urge will come. So you want to tailor your environment to studying whether it be uh, what they did in Hawaii, the University of Hawaii, they did an experiment where people put a label on the lamp in the dorm room that said study lamp and they turned their desk away from everything else. And those students that did it actually got a 1.0 average GPA raise over the control group or going to the library or coffee shop. But you want to make the context of the environment conducive to studying and studying only. Studying only. I like yeah. it. And that's, I'll throw this in for sleep too. That's what the bedroom's for. So- The bedroom is for sleep only. No TVs, no computers, cell phones. It's for something else too, but this is a G-rated show, so. Um, Yeah, I mean, mean, when you're an undergrad, you're a dorm. You're probably in a dorm, right? For at least the first couple of years. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. So it might be TV and all that kind of stuff too, but it shouldn't be studying for the most part. You know, maybe you're one of those weirdos that works, it works for you. But for me, the coffee shop, the library, those are always way better. All right. Step six, fight entropy, a big word, hopefully most of my pre-med audience knows, (laughs) and stay organized. Yes. What what does organization have to do with anything? So organization is largely concerned with reducing friction. And uh, so friction, I, I define as just anything that is in the way of you and your task, because Starting a task requires motivation. And there's a concept in psychology called ego depletion, where the more difficult decisions you make throughout the day, the more your motivation is sort of drained. But if you can reduce the friction to getting into a, a, uh, a task, whether it be by good planning or by reducing barriers to that task, it takes less of your motivation. You get into it faster and it takes less motivation away from your little bank, I guess you can call it. So organization Just by keeping your files organized, keeping your workspace organized, making sure you have everything you need to work will let you kind of just jump smoothly into your task. There's not a whole lot of frustration to get into it and you get it done faster. So there's a concept in here that I want to talk about called clear to neutral. And this is something I've adopted every night. So before clear to neutral, I would go to bed every night, leave my computer on with about 800 tabs open 
in Chrome. And maybe a little bit of an exaggeration, but a lot of tabs open. And I would do this because I was like, you know, there's cool things in those tabs. I don't want to let them go. I don't want to forget about them. <laughs> then I wake you up. You use that as your task list. <laughs> exactly. So then I'd wake up the next day and I mean, what do you think I did? Started clicking through those tabs, mm-hmm. looking at things again, getting distracted, not really doing much of anything. And clear to neutral is sort of the antidote to this. So the clear to neutral is a technique where when you finish a task, you clear the space. So at the end of the night, I close every single tab. If I want to save something, I use an app called Pinboard to bookmark it. You can also use like Delicious or any bookmarking service. Evernote Web Clipper works too. And then I actually turn my computer off. So the system is now cleared, which means tomorrow morning I wake up, I turn my computer on, and there is zero friction to getting into my morning routine because I just turn my computer on, open the browser. The only tab open is Habit RPG, which tells me, here's what you do for the morning, and then I do it. I like it. So yeah, keeping yourself organized and clear in that space, then you're going to be able to get into your, your projects a lot easier. Awesome. I like it a lot. I'm taking notes on all this because now hopefully <laughs> I'll be better. At, Should we at explain all this what too. entropy is? You can explain entropy, yeah. Okay. So I mean, as science geeks, we should all know entropy, <laughs> but your definition might be a little different. Well, I think, you know, I go off of the real definition, the second law of thermodynamics, entropy, you know, chaos basically always mm-hmm. increases, which interestingly, maybe not all science geeks out here know this, but the second law of thermodynamics is actually a probabilistic law. It isn't actually a hard and fast law that entropy always increases in a system. There's actually a chance that it could decrease. It's just so astronomically bent in favor of the increase of entropy that we call it a law. But I mean, there, there as, is... As Jim Carrey would say, so you're saying there's a chance. Yes. All right. There, I'm saying there is a chance that if you throw a bunch of watch parts into a dryer, there is a chance that it could assemble into a watch. It's just... <laughs> Not even within the realm of possibility (laughs) or of probability that you would even consider it. So we call it a law. But anyway, you know, chaos increases and this happens in just particles and the interactions of the physical world. But it also happens in your your to-do systems and your organization systems. You start the semester so nice and clean with your your backpack organized and your desk organized and your to-do manager has got everything and there's nothing overdue. And then as the semester goes on, like stress pops up, weird things happen. Your roommates want to go to the store at midnight and you don't get something done or checked off on your system. And all of a sudden, it's three weeks later. Your desk is full of papers. Your to-do manager is full of old tasks that you're not even sure if you need to do anymore. And there's just all this entropy. And it makes it very hard to use your systems effectively because they don't really represent what's important at the moment. And they should always represent what's important. So what I uh, recommend doing, and I think this actually is back in step four, is have a planning day every week where you figure out what you need to do that week, but also you clear out your to-do system, you clean everything up, and you kind of reset everything. Get the entropy back down to zero. Okay. All right. Now we know what entropy is. Yes. (laughs) And how it relates to the pre-med. Step seven, defeat procrastination. Now this this is is a big one. (laughs) This is another one where you have this cool like real-world math equation. What's the procrastination equation? Okay, did I actually write this? See him? Yes, I did. Okay. So the procrastination equation. Now, this is the actual equation that Pierce Steele came up with. He's a Canadian motivation researcher. And 
he came up with this equation and it is motivation equals expectancy times value over impulsiveness times delay. So I got to define these terms real quick. So the motivation is just any level of motivation to do a task. Now the expectancy is basically your perceived odds of being able to accomplish the task. Like how confident am I in my own ability to finish this thing? The value is how valuable the reward is. So if I'm, you know, a pre-med, then like obviously the reward of school is getting a job as a doctor, right? And the expectancy is like, how confident am I in my ability to get all the grades needed and to get through everything, the residency period, all that kind of stuff to actually become a doctor. Impulsiveness is how likely you are to get sidetracked. So this comes in with your environment. If I study in my room, the impulsiveness goes up because I might want to play my PS4 instead of just uh, studying. And then the delay is the time it'll take to achieve the task and get the reward. So if the reward is becoming a doctor and that's seven years away, you have a lot of delay and that can really decrease the motivation to do a specific assignment that you know is sort of building up to this. So the delay is the part of the equation that is the hardest to manipulate because if you have a specific reward, it's probably set in the future and it could be a set time that it happens or it could just be kind of limited by your own efficiency. But the other three are a lot easier to sort of mold and improve. With your expectancy, if you find a new tool that can make you more efficient, if you find a study buddy or go to the professor, you can sort of increase your own confidence, that kind of thing. With the value, the nice thing about value is the raw value of a task isn't the only value that is tangled up in this equation. So you can actually make the experience of doing the task more fun. Maybe uh, like listen to some nice music while you're doing it or Give or like set another reward that's going to happen after you finish it immediately that can sort of increase the value of the task. And then impulsiveness is largely a factor of your environment. Interesting. Now, I was thinking you were talking about delay and how that's kind of one of the more, the harder things to manipulate here. And, and, yeah. and, and for specifically for a pre-med that has, that's starting off, they have four years of undergrad, four years of medical school, three to seven years of residency one to three or five years of fellowship if they want to do that, that delay is going to be huge and that motivation can go down quickly. But that's where we talk about a lot, enjoy the journey so that that maybe your motivation or that expectancy of the value, what you're looking at isn't at the end of the road, but it's acing that next class to take you that one step further and the next class and the next class. So it's only one semester is the delay instead of 20 years. Yeah, and this is actually an integral part of any sort of goal setting. You might have one big goal, it's going to take a long time, but you want to break that down into smaller goals that are going to be achieved in a sooner period of time. And then give yourself, you know, a reward for achieving each one. Like build some sort of reward into it. All right. And we talked about the Pomodoro technique a little bit already, talking about it, but I don't remember specifically giving it a name when we were talking about it earlier. Can you talk about the Pomodoro technique? Yeah. So the Pomodoro technique and Pomodoro is the Italian word for tomato. <laughs> uh, and it goes back to this idea of taking a tomato timer, which is just a kitchen timer, setting it for 25 minutes, setting it down on your desk and devoting yourself to one single task during that 25 minute session. You don't let anything else distract you. You don't try to work on anything else. You just focus your attention on that one thing. And the reason for using the timer is that you're sort of using a device in the real world to externalize your motivation to do the task. 
So it is like a drill instructor, Major Payne standing over you, telling you to do push-ups. You're going to do the push-ups because Major Payne is standing there. And you're more likely to do the task because the timer is sitting there as a representation of the commitment you've made. So the Pomodoro technique is often used. It's, you know, it's a pretty standard study tip, but I think there's a couple of things people don't do to make it more effective. The first one is simply using their plan and building Pomodoros into their schedule. But the big one is you should put a piece of paper next to yourself when you do these Pomodoros. And then inevitably when things come up that distract you, maybe the urge to check Facebook or a phone call or something urgent, write it down, write when it happened, and then you can start to build patterns as you do more and more Pomodoros. You can see, okay, this thing often distracts me. Is there some sort of app or system or change I can make in my life that will kind of reduce that distraction's power? And then things that were urgent, like a call from your girlfriend or your mom or something, you can take care of that later and remind yourself. I like it. One of the, I think there's a mindset trick here with setting the timer and going, okay, 25 minutes, that's, that's not a lot. I can do this for 25 minutes. And yeah. I know I have a break. And it reminds me back when I, I went to my commissioned officer training to be the, in the military. One of our student leaders was talking about, he was kind of a backwoods, southern, midwestern dude, loves hunting. And he was talking about hunting bears. And specifically, like running up and trying to tackle a bear. And he said, even you can hug a bear for eight seconds, meaning the hardest task in the world. You can do it for a little bit of time. And so that kind of just mentality stuck with me. And I told my wife about it. And so whenever we're doing something difficult or something we don't want to do, all we, do, we just say, hug a bear, hug a bear. Because it's, <laughs> it's a temporary pain that we know is going to be over soon enough and just go do it. You make it sound so easy. It is very I'm easy. I'm not just, sure that I want to go up and hug a bear. Just though. hug a bear. <laughs> <laughs> You'll do it for a couple seconds before it mauls you to death, but at least you did it for a couple seconds. True. <laughs> what is the expected future value of this bear hug? I don't got to pay taxes anymore. There you go. <laughs> Step eight. And I think this is probably one that everybody loves and could use. And, and I all specifically talk about pre-meds here, but you have study smarter. Now you're, yes. you're, I think this is one of the biggest headlines here. It says replicate the test conditions. Mm-hmm. Now for pre-med students, one of the biggest hurdles, if not the biggest hurdle to getting into med school is the MCAT. Taking this test that is now changed for 2015, which is now an eight hour test and replicating what it's like to sit down and take a test for eight hours. And talking to pre-med students, the ones that do poorly on the MCAT, and talking to them how they studied, and how many practice tests they took in real MCAT situation conditions, not a lot of people do that. Yeah. They'll do 10 questions here, 10 questions there, and go, okay, I finished the test, and oh, look at this, I got an awesome grade. But that's just not how it works. Right. Why is that? Because you're not ready for the exact situation. So let me put it in terms of uh, like playing Street Fighter. I can go into <laughs> practice mode and I can pick Chun-Li and I can have the dummy character stand there and I can practice every combo and familiarize myself with every like tiny frame of the game and all the hitboxes and everything. And that will get me sort of better, but I'm not going to get really good at actually doing fights with real people unless I practice that. 
Like I've got to just put in the the matches and get good at it. And that's, you know, it's with everything. If I like back in wrestling practice in ninth grade, I can do drills all day long. But the most important part of practice was the sparring because that's the closest representation of the live match. And you want to get the closest representation of the live match. That is the most efficient way you can study. So you want to gather the materials. You want to look at your class handouts. You want to look at the syllabi. And you want to figure out, like, how am I going to be tested? What's the environment going to be like? What's the time crunch going to be like? What type of questions will I be asked? Is it going to be essay-based? Is it going to be multiple-choice-based, true-false, that kind of stuff, short answer? And then build a study guide and build questions that replicate what the test is going to be like. Go through them with the time constraints that you expect you'll be facing in class. And then when you show up to class, you've basically done it. You're doing it again. And, you know, you build muscle memory, you build memory in your brain. If you've done it before, you're going to know what mistakes you made the first time. And you're going to know what worked the first time. You're going to be able to apply that to the live test environment. And hopefully you'll have less anxiety over it as well. Yeah. So uh, test anxiety is one step that I didn't like explicitly address in the book, but I did mention a few things that can reduce it. And I want to do a, a video on test anxiety at some point, but I think if you kind of know what the environment's going to be like, if you know the format, if you're used to it, that will really massively reduce your anxiety. But also if you have mastery over the subject, then you're going to have less anxiety. The problem with anxiety is it stops your brain from making the connections that it's already forged because your your brain has to go and, and has to recall information it's encoded before. And the stress of anxiety prevents those neurons from connecting. And if you know, if you've mastered things, then it's a lot easier to draw that information forth, even if you're in a stressful situation. Yeah. So it's kind of a twofold approach, kind of override the stress with mastery, but also reduce the stress with practice. Awesome. Step nine, write better papers. And the one part of this that kind of stood out with, for me was doing a brain dump. And again, for pre-med students, Another big hurdle at the end of their pre-med journey is applying to medical school and having a personal statement. How does a brain dump in terms of writing, how would that help in writing a personal statement and and I guess writing a paper in general? So a personal statement's an interesting question for you to ask because there's something that it's not in the book but I thought about before. I've been sort of gathering notes for a long time on an article that I want to do on scholarships and you have to write personal statements and scholarships as well. And I remember asking myself, like, how could I give students advice that would help them write personal statements more effectively? And one idea that jumped to mind is journal every day. Like write a journal of what you did that day, what thoughts you were having, what stuck out. And even if it wasn't every day, but if it was on significant days where really cool things happened, like you landed an internship or you volunteered and did something cool or you, you, know, you made a breakthrough in some area of your life, if you write that down, then you're going to be able to remember it better and you can look back and see these highlights of your life. So I'm not saying you have to journal, but you want to sort of do these writing exercises because they help you think. There's actually, I don't remember who said it, but there's a guy who said, I write to understand how I think. Hmm. And it's really true. When you sit down and you give yourself the opportunity to write words, then it starts to bring forth more experiences and more thoughts. And a brain dump is really a document that no one's ever going to see except for you. So there's no pressure to make it perfect. There's no pressure to edit it and have the spelling be perfect. You're just kind of getting your thoughts onto the page 
and then taking the good stuff and synthesizing it into the final product. Yeah. I think the take home is, is just, just start writing, start typing, do something, get it out of your head. Don't edit it in your head, I think is the big mistake that people make. Yeah, definitely. Okay. Yeah. And to go back on your journaling, that's what I recommend to every Mm. pre-med student, not necessarily everyday journaling, which would be good too. But as pre-med student, one of the big things that we do is is we have to shadow and we have to do extracurricular activities and volunteer and do all this other stuff. And when it comes to application time, you have to write about all of those experiences. And so if you've yeah. been taking notes and the highlights and how did that make you feel and what did you see and smell and touch, then writing all that stuff for your application just is that much easier. Right. Yeah. Awesome. Anything else about brain dumps? Uh, no, not really. All right. <laughs> So Let's step wrap it up, man. Step 10, make group projects <laughs> suck less. Now, I'm going to twist this one on you. All right. And instead of group projects, and they, again, we'll show people where to download this book and they can read about group projects. But a lot of this stuff, I think we can twist into group studying maybe as well, which okay. is something I recommend a lot of students do to sure. build that collaboration and do better especially with the MCAT, you find somebody that's better at the physics part than you are, better at the verbal part than you are, and you all get together and and you have a little group study session. So how can students work better as a group? Okay, so I actually want to cover something I didn't cover in the book now that you're twisting this over to (laughs) to studying. No, it has to be in the book. (laughs) Has to be in the book. (laughs) This is just about the book. I don't care about you. (laughs) Uh, There's a video I did called eight advanced studying tips. And one of my tips was do your problem sets alone first. And the reason for that is that if you start a problem set with a group, then the moment one person in the group understands a problem innately, then your brain will latch on to that person's answer and go, oh, yeah, I get it. You know, I, I can see how that works. And then you will move on. And you do not give yourself an opportunity to pinpoint gaps in your understanding. So you want to start your problem sets first alone. You don't have to always do them, but you want to start them that way. And by doing this, you sort of give yourself the opportunity to figure out where you're shaky. Then you can take that information into a group study environment and say, okay, guys, here's where I'm shaky. Here's where I am very solid. I know what I can help everyone else on and I know where I need help. And then uh, from there, when you're in a group, just kind of have a plan of attack. It's just like planning versus robot mode individually. You want to have some sort of plan of how we're going to tackle everything. If we get stuck on something, if one person gets stuck, we'll say, okay, let's move on as a group. And then maybe one person in the group can help that person later on. But you want to keep everything moving smoothly. Okay. And uh, I think the chapter is very focused on having one person take the lead role because the bystander effect, you know, if there's more people in a group, there's less likelihood that each individual will actually kind of put forth effort because they think everyone else will. Mm -hmm. One of the big parts of the chapter doesn't really apply too much to group study, but it's the first time that you meet for a group project. You want to take that time to get the details, get everyone's contact information, set up your systems. A lot of groups have their first meeting during the class where the project is announced and they'll be like, Hey, man, the class is over. Uh, Let's just have a meeting next week. I'm going to go back to my dorm, get out (laughs) early today. (laughs) So, yeah, just use the... That's that's how college kids talk, huh? 
That's it. All of them. <laughs> like when you're in college, man, you just talk like this all the time. <laughs> I like it. Yeah. And then I just recommend some tools that work really well for group projects and maybe for group studying, but definitely for projects where you have specific tasks and uh, deadlines and things. Okay. So Thomas, as we wrap up here, what is your go-to must-have piece of advice for an undergrad student to make the most of their undergrad career? Oh, man. (laughs) Only one thing. That's tough. You know, it's really tough. There's a ton in the book, but I guess I would say if I put on the spot, just constantly ask yourself, how can I do this better? That will set you apart from so many people. You know, there's so much habit and dogma and ingrained way of doing things. And I noticed this immensely when I worked in a Fortune 500 company. Everything just kind of goes the same way it's always gone. People get into routines. And if you can like have the courage and take the time to step aside and say, how can I do this better? You're going to save yourself time. You're going to improve the world and you're going to have a better undergrad experience, I think. I love it. And besides from a link in our show notes, where can people download your book and find more about you? Yeah, just head on over to collegeinfogeek.com slash book. And that's where the book is. And then I'm on Twitter at Tom Frankly. If you want to connect, there's a College Info Geek YouTube channel where I'm creating videos every week and kind of improving on the things that I wrote in the book. So those are kind of the main platforms right now. All right. Again, that was Thomas Frank from College Info Geek. You can find him at collegeinfogeek.com. You can download his free ebook that we've been talking about at collegeinfogeek.com slash book. If you're driving, don't write all that stuff down. Don't go surfing the internet right now. Go to medicalschoolhq.net slash 116. As always, it's always the medicalschoolhq.net followed by the episode number. And you can find all the links to all the great stuff we talked about today in that page there. You can also continue this conversation with myself and with Tom at that page slash 116. I want to take a quick second and thank four awesome listeners for leaving five-star ratings and reviews. We have... I don't even know how to pronounce that. It's a bunch of letters and numbers. It says, realistic and practical help. This person's only listened to six episodes so far, and they've learned about old pre-meds, which you talked about in the last podcast, the conference, and the MSAR. So thank you for that review. U-I-M-N-N-577-U something. And Sarah Jeans Bags says, informative and encouraging, hands down the best pre-med podcast out there. Thank you for that. Sanners says, most inclusive pre-med resource. Binge listened, hear this, binge listened to all of the podcasts in the last three weeks. That is a lot of listening. So thank you for taking the time to listen to all those podcasts. And thank you for leaving the review. And Dr. Whitecoat says, best medical school podcast on the internet. They say, unbiased, comprehensive, accurate, and best of all, free, with three exclamation points. That's right, free every Wednesday for you. Only if you subscribe, though. Go to medicalschoolhq.net slash listen, and all of the subscription options will be there, so you can get us free on your phone, your device, every week when we release. Come say hi to me on Twitter. I am at Medical School HQ. 
We're also, you need to go get a Twitter account because here in the near future, we're going to be starting a pre-med chat on Twitter. I haven't announced it anywhere else before except right now, right here. So go get a Twitter account and stay tuned for the pre-med chat, which is either half an hour, an hour long, depending on how long I want to make it, of talking about and conversing with other pre-meds and other people about the pre-med world and quick and fast-paced Twitter chat. It's awesome. Twitter chats are fun, and I think you'll like it. So go to twitter.com and get an account if you don't already have one, and then follow me, Medical School HQ. All right. As always, I hope you got a ton of great information out of today's podcast. Go read Thomas's book and let him know, let us know how you liked it, what you would improve, and what you got out of it. And I hope you join us next time here at the Medical School Headquarters. (laughs) 